0: I appreciate you being here and giving me the opportunity to spend some time with you in what I think is objectively the worst week in the history of a school and an institution that so many of us love. Uh, to the 50,000 Michigan State students, the countless thousands living alumni, the members of the community and staff up in East Lansing, I just want to let you guys know that I am feeling everything you're feeling. I have fluctuated between grief, sadness, despair, hope, uh, bits of joy along the way with seeing what some people are doing out there to help. Uh, And there's days, honestly, and moments that I don't know how I'm feeling. And even I don't know how I'm doing, but I do know one thing for sure. It's that there's no single act, no individual in existence that can break up our community, that will end the bonds that we have. In fact, the effort to do so has only strengthened them. And this is a community that has been built over the course of 186 years and counting. And it will not be rattled or shaken by anyone or anything. And if you had any doubt of that before, I think that is certainly gone now with what we've seen the past five, six days. Uh, I've been so moved by what we've seen, obviously in East Lansing people care, but our friends in Ann Arbor, Nebraska, New Jersey, Florida tributes down in North Carolina at Duke University. The support we've received is a reminder that there is a lot more good than bad in this world. And for this terrible thing that happened and and this person who did this to us and hurt the community we hold dear, uh, they have failed to rattle us to the point where we're not going to continue to rally and support each other and love each other. And I consider that individual a failure in whatever goal he was hoping to attain. Um, I'm proud of Michigan State. I'm proud of the surrounding communities. And I express my utmost gratitude, as I know many Spartans do, for all people have done for us. Uh, It really does mean the world to Spartans. And I know it it takes a lot to get Michigan on our side. And they're firmly in our corner. And I can't can't thank them enough. uh, To a man, I don't know a person up there in my circle in Michigan media who hasn't been wonderful. I've been reading a lot this week intentionally about the students impacted, in particular, the three that we lost. We still don't know the identity of all the the wounded that are in recovery at the hospital. But I, I, I can't help but if you read anything about any of the three, I can't help but think that they were sort of the quintessential Spartans. They are hard driving. They're leaders. They're kind. They're servant leaders, and they attack life with vim. Uh, it, reading these descriptions about all three of them, it, it's everything that the Michigan State marketing campaign sort of pitches. But it was them, and I have no doubt that if any or all of the three had not been victimized and lost their lives in this incident, they would have been one of the ones leading the vigil, painting the rock, leading fundraisers. And that is part of why this law stings so much. You have, uh, I mean, go right down the line, uh, Arielle Anderson, who she dreamt of being a pediatric surgeon. I, I don't know if you can get more righteous than that. It's just the most wonderful thing you could possibly aspire to be, I would argue, saving babies and children. Uh, Brian Fraser was studying business. And I think would have been an incredible leader by all accounts. Everyone that's ever talked about that guy said he was gregarious, friendly, kind. He was in charge, but was kind anyway. Sometimes the the popular guy wearing the captain's hat isn't so nice. He was the opposite of that by all accounts. And Alexandria Werner, who was dreaming to become a forensic scientist and with a focus in biology, it's these people in all their accounts around them. Are illustrating why I think this hurts because obviously any loss of innocent life is bad. But these people, I think we see ourselves in so many ways. Uh, not all of us with the Michigan State, but whether you went to Michigan or any institution, you know we were all or currently are in that point in life where you know you're you're driving, you got your dreams, your whole life ahead of you, and that's why this really stings. Uh, particularly, I think for Michigan State people because we were all three of those people as alums. Uh, so many students up there that were their colleagues now are feeling it more than anybody. I, I just, I can't pretend to make sense of this. I can't act like I know why this happened, why this stuff happens. Uh, it, it has rattled me to my core. It has been devastating for me. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, I don't think we're supposed to understand this. I don't think it's supposed to make sense. If five other Spartans remain in the hospital, four of whom are in critical condition. Uh, I just, it's, it's devastating and we're feeling it and we are feeling it as a community. And I know we are going to continue to rally. I want to say for the record, I am extremely grateful for all of you guys. And I know some of you watch this show and thank you for that. All of you in law enforcement up there in first responders, where we were all listening to the same scanner that you guys were. And anytime there's a call in that, there's there's shots fired in this building your first reaction was go right into the gunfire and protect the students and the staff and the faculty up there. Uh, you guys were incredible and brave. And I'm so glad that none of you were hurt in uh, carrying out your duties. And, and thank you for that. And the staff of Sparrow Hospital, uh, I don't really get biblical or holy on this show, but let, let's just say God bless your, your hands and uh, your precision and your care up there. And, and please get our other five Spartans home as quickly as possible, uh, there's it's going to be a tough, tough period. This is not going to be something we ever fully get over. Um, I do think it gets better, and um, you know that that day will come where we start to move on and move forward. but I, I don't think we're there yet. but in reflecting on the loss and how it's affected all of us and in reading about in particular the three fellow Spartans who lost their lives. I, I was moved by a passage from Alexandria Werner's yearbook that was shared in one of her stories. And it's the only time I'm going to read off anything in this open here, but I don't want to get the quote wrong. So she was asked, she's a 2020 graduate of Clausen High School, and she was asked as part of her senior page, what advice would you give to the underclassmen as you depart? Her response was I would tell them it's okay to feel tired but quitting will never make you feel better. Today may be hard but tomorrow will be better.
1: Alexandria Werner
0: I think that's the lesson we need to take is it's okay to be tired, be sad, be angry, uh, be devastated. It's okay to be whatever you are right now. There's no one right way to handle this, and we're all kind of all over the place anyway. Um, But hang in. It's not okay to quit. And uh, I think she was wise beyond her years to give us that advice as a teenager a couple years before her tragic death. And I just want to say I will make it a point to keep their memory alive, everyone affected up there, and we love them, and I know their friends and family will miss them, and we will celebrate them as Spartans. So in, in this week's challenge, uh, there's a guest I wanted to have on the show before such a terrible thing happened to Michigan State. And we were going to talk about you know, serial killers and all sorts of crazy stuff that didn't really affect us. And I ended up needing her help a lot earlier than expected. This is going to be a little different. I think we're effectively having a, a therapy session for me kind of on camera for all you to to look at. But uh, I honestly, uh, really looking forward to exploring some of these topics. Savannah Dinkowski is a clinical mental health therapist, a university of Michigan grad, very fitting Savannah, because you guys have been in our corner this whole week. And I know you have a, a sister at Michigan state right now. I welcome you to the show and I thank you for being here and honestly, not the most wonderful of circumstances, but the most important perhaps.
1: Absolutely. And I'm glad that I'm here with you today. Um, you know, it has been a tough week for everybody, and so I'm I'm just hoping that what we talk about today, whatever direction we go in, hopefully we can help some people touch some people.
0: So your sister is—I mean, we were talking a little before the show—a freshman at Michigan State right now. Yeah, and, and we talked about it a little bit, but what was that like being in contact with her while this was going on? Can you kind of tell that story for the back backstory
1: there? Yeah, um, she had called me. Um, I was getting out of one of my other jobs and. She said, like, I, 30 police cars just went past me. Like, what's going on? You know, I said, you know, where are you? Are you in your apartment? Like, whatever's going on, lock your doors. You know, you just need to be safe. Um, I got home. I sat down in my kitchen on a step stool. And for two hours, that's where I sat um, listening to the scanner and texting her back and forth the entire time.
0: And I mean, in your position there, I assume you had some fear, obviously, for her securing herself. And, you know, you're in this kind of weird spot because you're the, okay, I'm going to help people through traumatic situations. And mm-hmm. like, here you are, and it's it's not you, but it's, it's your sister and your younger sister, which I think makes a difference too. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to betray whatever, you know, trust you have with her. I don't know how transparent she is about, you know, her stuff, but to the extent you can discuss it, like, how has she been doing? Has she been... Kind of messed up by this week. I, I think it's kind of a typical experience up there.
1: Yeah, I think what we need to keep in mind is that this is an abnormal experience that's happening, and so any reaction at the end of the day is going to be normal, right? Um, because there is no guideline on how to get through this. There's no, you know, what should we expect? It's going to look different on everybody. So. Um, I know the first night was really, really difficult for her, and I'm sure just about everybody else on that campus, um, probably every parent and sibling and aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa. Um, and I think as the days have gone on, I think that she's, you know, recognizing and, and you know, learning how to move through something like this um, as best as she can. But I think um, it's kind of a collective moving through with support of friends and family and, um, you know, going to some of these community events. You know, I think that's kind of helping, you know, bring some some peace and some sense of. Just a just a sense of belonging and a sense of community in something that could have, you know, torn us apart. And like you said in your intro, right, absolutely did not do that.
0: It's. I mean, just as a general matter, I try to find comfort in statistics. So when we've seen school shootings in the country in the past, which we've had a lot of practice with, unfortunately, you know, my wife will go through the cycle of, I'm afraid for my kids at school. You know, we have three young kids, two of whom are in school now, one is a little too young still. And I always you know say, okay, you're more likely to die on the way driving to school by a factor of about a hundred. I'm always, you know, it, obviously the situation is tragic, but as far as like managing anxiety, I always defaulted to that. And, you know, more in the people that lost, but take comfort in the statistics. Same thing with people who have issues flying an airplane, yep. much more likely dying on drive to the airport. And it, that kind of went out the window when I'm sitting like you were in so many listening to a scanner and I'm hearing... You know, Berkey Hall, Acres, Shaw—all these places where I grew up as a man, I would say—and these places are really close to home. So, why do you think we process it so differently? Where even if I can objectively say the chances of being a victim in this are really small, but we're as profoundly affected as anything. How how is that disconnect explained? Like, sort of from the clinical perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think a lot of people are asking these questions, especially in terms of like, you know, saying that, like, people feel guilt, right, for like feeling so awful about this when they were, you know, hundreds of miles away from this. Right. Um, I've talked to students at Michigan State who have said, like, you know, I wasn't in the dorms, so I shouldn't be as affected or. Um, you know, I, maybe I don't have as big of a personal connect connection to this, but you know, I'm still feeling really affected. Right. And I think a lot of it comes down to like our past experiences, right. What our defaults are. Um, I think you can get very like Freudian and, you know, psychological with it and say that, you know, it all stems from the way we're raised, but you know, at the end of the day, I think, um, It kind of comes from, like, what we've experienced, whether that's, you know, as a baby, as a toddler, as a child, as a preteen, as a teenager, as an adult. Um, We all come with our own different set of experiences, our own different defaults, right? Um, For people who have, like, experienced anxiety or depression before, for people who have experienced trauma before, for those that we know that this is not their first school shooting or mass shooting, right? I think... um, I think that can definitely change the way that we're affected by this. Um, and, And two, I think how often we're hearing about it now and how close it's feeling like it's getting is also definitely affecting our perspective, right? Proximity, whether that's physical proximity or emotional proximity to the situation definitely changes the way that we think about things and react to these kind of tragic events.
0: I'm sure, and you mentioned it sort of in passing, but I'm sure you've read about the handful of Oxford High students who, I mean, that's like seven minutes from where we're sitting right now. So that was affecting this community, but went to Michigan State. There was one account, now I'm pretty sure this is true, but based on the sourcing, but there was one of the Oxford High grads at Michigan State was like under 100 yards away from shots both times, like was, was not just on some other wing of the campus, not to right. minimize anybody's experience, but one student in particular was close enough to hear gunfire in their senior year of high school and their freshman year of college. I mean, from a just role-playing perspective here, doing the work you do, if I'm that Oxford High student and I make an appointment with Savannah in the first session, I'm telling you, I I don't know, I don't feel safe. I was in high school, I almost died. I was in college. I've gone through two shootings in 14 months. Why should I feel safe? How do you answer that? Because I wouldn't know what to say to someone like that.
1: Yeah, it's a tough question. That's a really tough question to answer. Um, I think sometimes you got to validate it, right? Like, I understand why you don't feel safe. Yeah. You know, and that's not a fair experience to have. Um, But I think a big part of healing through these things and finding hope and moving forward. um, It it looks different for other people, right? You know, one person might need to hear that, you know, there's a reason that they've been through this and they've survived two times, right? Another person might, you know, be really pissed off to hear that, um, you know, somebody might just want to be validated in that somebody else might want to, you know, find the things in their life that give it meaning and, you know, chase those things and kind of have like a fearless attitude. Um, yeah, honestly, and we're gonna I'm going to say this probably a trillion times tonight. It is just so different person to person.
0: So from the, you know, clinical day to day mental health professional perspective, which you're coming from, you're going into work every day for the past couple of weeks and then, you know, this happens and then you go through right after this a week of sessions. How has it affected you? What are you seeing? I don't know. Do they use couches or is that sort of like a, no,
1: yeah, they got couches. Okay. So like, (laughs) what
0: are you hearing like on your couch? How has it been affected in your room? What are you seeing, hearing from people?
1: Um, I think what's kind of blown my mind the most this week is the amount of people who have pretty solid, deep connections to either the people who lost their life in this tragedy or the people who are fighting for their lives in the hospital. Um, and even, you know, I, I have some Michigan state students that I see and, um, I think it's just been kind of shocking, like how much this has affected so many different people at so many different levels. Um, and it's been a, I'd say a pretty exhausting week, probably my most exhausting week yet. um, you know it's it's as a therapist right we we hold space for people that is our job right um and it's you know it's been really difficult this week at the end of the night to have space for myself if that makes sense
0: i was preparing for tonight and going over you know with ben with that intro that we made and i i got i was upset all week i was a mess uh, I, I, you know, I i said i cried four times in my life before this week and that numbers about it by a factor of seven or eight increase. But I, I got a text from a buddy of mine who lives out of state, but I grew up with him. And he said, Hey, I like you know, I really he had called twice, I didn't answer. And he texted he goes, It'll be real quick. I need you. And just a quick little thing, no emergency. Uh, but so I finally answer, and I had been like crying like five minutes earlier, and he could tell, he goes, What's are you okay? Like, did someone die over there? And I mean, not in my immediate family or ether. Yeah. And so we ended up talking about it for 10 minutes. And he's one of my best friends, he's a great guy, but He couldn't understand. He said, like, you didn't know anybody. You weren't up there. I get, like, we're all sad about it, but, like, why are you this upset? How is it different from Virginia Tech, you know, Sandy Hook, which, I mean, is arguably the the most tragic ever just given the, the backdrop of that. I mean, what is the explanation? Because I am living it, and I don't even understand. I get being upset, but why am I so much more affected by this than the average shooting, which is unfortunately like every third day here?
1: Your emotional connection to the place that it happened, right? I mean, you said yourself, you were listening to the scanner, right? And every time they set a hall, I'm sure you have a lot of memories that flood back up of the times that you spent in all of those places, right? And, and, and every, so how, yep. how do you disconnect your experience to that place, your love for that place, Um, the memories, the good, the bad, the ugly, the great, the wins, the losses. You know, it it would be surprising if you weren't super affected by this, given your love and your emotional connection to this community, the school, the institution, the sports, and the memories that you have there.
0: What's the sort of blanket, and I know everyone is different, but if you're just hearing somebody up there struggling emotionally, they missed class for a couple of weeks, they haven't even resumed classes, but when they do, what's sort of your go-to starting point if you hear about somebody like that? Like, Do you tell them, call a therapist, call a 1-800 number? Like, What's sort of the step one? And I ask because a lot of people are already kind of in the situation and they see the hotline number, but you know, it's, they're not calling it or they don't know what to do. What's sort of the starting point? for someone that's struggling right now?
1: um. So depending on the level of struggle, right? And depending on what kind of trajectory you've seen, right? Say we're talking, you know, this is three weeks from now and somebody's, you know, nothing's gotten better for them, right? They haven't made a significant amount of progress or things have gotten worse, right? That's when it's kind of time um, to reach out for help, right? If you're feeling like you don't know what steps to take, Reach out to your friends, to your family, um, to the people in your circle um, who can help you with that. But I will say Michigan State University has done an absolutely incredible job of making their resources for crisis counseling and mental health counseling. you know, available and all over. Like if you go to Michigan, you know, Michigan State University or msu.edu or whatever it is, right? Like the number one thing on there is, you know, a pop-up and you click the pop-up and, you know, two clicks later you're at, uh, CAPS and, you know, the psychological services on campus. And, um, you know, what's great about, you know, being in the therapy community, right? It was like Tuesday morning, you know, I'm getting messages and and things are being passed around, you know, um, who has availability immediately to see anybody that's been affected by this? students, you know, staff, faculty, first responders, hospital workers, um, you know, people, alumni, you know, who's got availability. And there's been a trillion lists passed around um, and you can find all of that information On uh, Michigan State's CAPS website. Um, So it's all right there and it's all relatively easy to access. Um, You know, as a therapist, I always have to say if you're struggling with thoughts of self harm or suicide, you know, going through a time like this, things just feel hopeless or helpless, um, always call 988, um, you know, to talk to somebody at the suicide hotline. Um, And if you feel immediately very unsafe, always call 911.
0: There's a universality to a lot of the reaction here, you know, unless you're completely insane and a sociopath, everybody's devastated. Everybody's varying degrees of angry about what happened. And I think that is a shared experience where I'm intrigued and concerned is where it starts to gradually, and I think we're getting there already, move into the political bickering of mm-hmm. uh, anyone that wants to verify this have at it, look at my mentions. I'm not even involved in this discussion. These two guys, you can look it up right now, Darko State News. These two guys are like killing each other. And I'm just mentioned in the thread. I got like 57 notifications. And if, as you might predict, it's right wing, left wing. Mm-hmm. So if you have someone, and I don't, I don't, I don't care about the political argument because that's not what we're here to talk about. And it's not your purview, uh, you know, in the context of this conversation. But right or left, if you have a client that's coming in and is saying, I'm so sick of those goddamn Republicans or those goddamn Democrats or whatever. You know, they have real anger about that, and they have different reasons why they think guns should be more prevalent, less prevalent, whatever. How do you navigate that? Is it a good thing to channel this to policy change? And Would you tell someone, regardless, you know, neutral to their political views, to, yeah, go write your congressman, or should that be separated? There's the argument of leave politics out of it. Like, how would you counsel somebody with that question?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if somebody is coming to my office and talking about that, I, you know, probably wouldn't say leave politics out of it, right? Because if I mean, if they're talking about it, it's gonna be pretty difficult for them to leave the politics out of it um so yeah i mean i would validate i think a lot of people i mean we're we see such a divide all the time um and a lot of times that divide is how people try to make sense of what's going on as human beings you know psychologically we are wired to kind of always try to think why or how did this happen um and so a lot of times politics are a way for people to figure out um you know kind of their why and what do we do um and so yeah i would encourage them like if this is something you're passionate about if this is something that uh you think needs to be a bigger conversation then you know whatever group that you need to be a part of whatever letters you need to send like i support that it doesn't matter what side you're on um kind of like you said it's not really my job to take sides at the end of the day right my job is to support and so if if the politics is somebody's biggest issue with this, then absolutely, you know, and quite honestly, they might be hiding behind a lot of, you know, emotion that they're kind of channeling into politics and that's understandable too.
0: I mean, I get the perspective of like, sure, you know, you'll validate them sharing it with you. You'll validate them doing the, you know, I'm a bill and, you know, write their congressman and all all that stuff. I, I totally can see that we're, I would push back from the layman perspective, from the unqualified to disagree with you about anything <laughs> context would be whether or not it's beneficial at all to engage in the kind of stuff that I'm referring to in my Twitter feed, which again, I'm not even a part of these guys have been like 20 tweets back and forth, uh, each at each other's throats. I just think that part of it is the downstream Worst part of this. Obviously, upstream is the loss of life. There's, that's a given. But the downstream sort of consequence of it is we have the unity. We have those couple days of, you know, rah, rah, and we're all around the same flag. And then it denigrates into, okay, now it's time to get the guns. Okay, now it's time to arm the teachers. And then the two sides are arguing. I mean, don't you think, as a general matter, sure, right, you're congressman, but it's, it's kind of the politics is kind of toxic. Like, isn't it a, a net negative?
1: potentially i mean you could say the same about a lot of ways that people are coping with this right um you could say the same about people who have had the news on 24 7 for the last four days five days right you could say that that's probably you know not helpful you could say that for the people who've been on social media the entire time you know not you just kind of being by themselves and taking this all in right you could say that's not really positive um I, I get what you're saying i I just think that some people are gonna be more driven to be you know more emotional and or maybe you know are focusing on community or family or you know variety of things to move through this and for some people, if arguing politics is how they how they move through this like again there's no normal reaction to an abnormal situation it's really all it's just a bummer
0: though i i I don't want to i don't want
1: to see that stuff. yeah i mean the fighting is a bummer absolutely i think the fighting of it is you know is a challenge for sure um
0: I'm not talking about Joe, Hey, I think this might be a good idea. What do you think? Conversations. Yeah, I, right. I'm all on board for that. I'm not saying... You've seen
1: some of those. No, <laughs> I but I, those. I mean, no,
0: it's, <laughs> but I like the idea of unicorns too. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, they look cool and, you know, the, the books I read to my six year old, but I, I just, I don't think it's really realistic for the vast majority of people. Mm. I mean, there's, there, there were people that were screaming at me because they didn't think I had the perfect reaction to it because I had mentioned Shaw Hall as being, uh, mentioned on the scanner. And even though I had three qualifiers on it and said it's unofficial and it was one nine one caller and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, so it's like people were coming at me for something as trivial as that this political conversation is so negative. that just, to me, I can only speak for myself, but I, I hate that stuff. And I'm not talking about, you know, Hey, what do you think of this bill on yeah. the floor? I'm talking about the, demonizing each other stuff mm-hmm. and i think that's where we kind of lose the plot a little bit i mean is that completely off base
1: no a thousand percent i think the divisiveness um is not really that helpful
0: <laughs> yeah um, they're mean I yeah mean, you see
1: this stuff? i mean one of the best things you can do in times of trauma one of the most helpful things that you can do for yourself to move through trauma is to be kind or helpful to other people. Truly, like, I'm talking scientifically-based, one of the best things you can do is be kind to other people.
0: Why does that work? Is you, less, you just feel better about yourself? Is that, uh, so
1: You feel a part of something, right? It's kind of the same reason why, like, being around friends is helpful or being a part of a community, right? But But when you're, kind to people and when you're helpful to people even when you're checking in on people right like that's progress that's growth that's you know moving forward um you know i guess i don't have the exact science behind why it's so helpful but i can tell you it is very helpful so so i should
0: tell those two guys i'll pull it up it'll be the first time (laughs) i I tweet in the middle of my show i'm gonna pull up and tell them like listen because they both at least one of them follows me because that's how they're stumbling into my mentions but yeah it's you know I'm seeing 57 notifications and I thought maybe some prediction I made about some baseball player three years ago came true and people are you know congratulating me or the reverse (laughs) it was wrong and everyone's yelling at me I would take that over this stuff it's just you know I I, especially in the context of what we're going through like I've been up and down all week you know preparing for tonight and just with the general matter of uh, what's going on up there and I don't know. I'm an anti like don't I'm pro like don't talk politics and religion at dinner guy. Like that's a cliche. Yeah, I just I I just don't think people are really equipped to handle it in a responsible way. How do you compartmentalize? Because I mean, you mentioned that you are not really a a crier, but you were affected this week. Like, how do you, you know, go into work and help people when you're dealing with your own stuff? Are you able to turn it off and on pretty well?
1: Um, I would say that I, whether it's a gift or a talent or something, I always say that I am like so, so, so eternally blessed um, that I love my job. I absolutely love my job. I could be feeling sick. I could be in a bad mood. And when I go to work and I get to spend time with my clients and talk to people, even if it's the worst circumstances, Right um, in the moment, because nothing's about me, right? I, you know, it, it kind of is easy to turn off because it's not really about me, right? You know, my job, um, and what I love to do, right, is support people, help people, um, listen to people. That's been a big thing this week is a lot of listening, you know, a lot of supporting, a lot of talking about, you know, what is grief, what is trauma, um, you know, how do I move through this? How do I deal with this? Why am I feeling this way? Um, you know, and so, yeah, it's it's been harder this week than I think it's been just because of, you know, how much connection there's been to this. Um, you know, I'm sure my personal connection, you know, with my sister probably plays a role. Um, so, yeah, I definitely turn that off when I go in the room. But it doesn't mean that when I come out at the end of the night, you know, I'm not exhausted and you know, kind of beat.
0: I know everyone is different. It's case by case basis. But if you're operating from the institutional perspective, let's yeah. say Savannah's the president of Michigan State University, <laughs> which would be an incredible privilege. You'd get to go green again and get, get rid of the maze and blue. But let's put you in the situation where you're the president and it's your call. Where, where do you stand on the get back to normal thing? Like, for example, the basketball game that's taking place this weekend. Mm-hmm. There was an argument that maybe it won't happen, should it happen? And I think the layman's explanation for why it should happen was it'll be a sense of, you know, normal and getting back to normal and mm-hmm. unity. Uh, there wasn't much pushback on it, but there was a little bit. Even but the example of classes, you had, you know people saying, "I will not be reporting the class on Monday." I get supporting an individual, but on a wide scale, if you have to make the call, how would you handle that? Are you, from the clinical perspective, are people better off? As a general matter, getting back to their routine classes, whatever earlier or are they better off staying away? I mean, what's sort of the general rule if you had to make a blanket ruling for the university?
1: Yeah, if I had to make a blanket ruling um, it you know it honestly probably would be let's try to let's let's try to get some routine going, right? I think it's clear that uh, this routine is not going to look like the routine that was happening pre-Monday right um this is going to be you know pieces of an old routine right and and pieces of a new routine um it's definitely going to be hard it seems like from what I've read and what I've heard and what I've seen that the university is going to be very understanding um especially when it comes to like classwork and tests and and homework and things in attendance and things like that um and honestly I would say like from a clinical clinical perspective, you know, that's probably the right call. Um, it gives people who, cause there are people who want to get back, not because they, they think that they're above it. Right. But, you know, kind of just want to get back to a sense of normalcy, um, a sense of that routine, a sense of, you know, feeling okay, the sense of moving forward, um, And then, of course, there's going to be people where that's a lot harder. I think there should be a lot of grace given as this semester goes on. Um, But I think having the option to come back um, and kind of opening that up to students, you know, nobody's saying we're going to have a great first week back, right? I I don't think that's a consensus. I think the consensus is we're going to have a week back. Right. And I think that's kind of important to recognize is that like it probably won't be a great week for a lot of people. It's probably going to be a very difficult week for a lot of people, but it is going to be a, a week of progress and growth. And um, I don't know. I mean, I don't you haven't asked me about grief, so I'm going to I'm going to go into grief. I don't know if you're going to ask me about it or not, but um, there's like a, an image that kind of explains the process of grief really well. And it's kind of this like ball in like a mason jar, right? Um, And some people might, you know, if the ball is grief, right? Some people might think that that ball like gets smaller and smaller over time, right? You kind of move on, you move forward, you get through things, you you have new experiences, you experience joy and hopefulness again. Some of the memories start to fade a little bit. Um, But that's not at all what happens, right? Um, The grief doesn't get any smaller. Right. What happens is the jar gets bigger, right? And so when that ball is in that little jar, right, and you drop a bead in there, the chances of that bead hitting that grief uh, is pretty likely, right? You know, so the chance of being on campus and and feeling absolutely awful uh, as you walk through, you know, the halls of your dorm, the, you know, the halls of the buildings, you know, walking down Grand River, right? I mean. It, you're probably going to have a lot of memories come up of a really traumatic night or maybe memories that you feel aren't the same anymore. Right. But over time, as that jar gets bigger, right. And you start to throw like little beads in the jar, there's less and less of a chance that those beads hit the grief ball. Right. Um, and then, you know, the faster you start to make new memories and you, you know, start to build new connections, um, and the more you focus on that, right, the faster that jar grows for you.
0: So the faster you can get there on campus, the better, right, as a general thing?
1: The faster you can get into a routine that feels more normal, the better.
0: Yeah. Well, right. But if your prior normal was living at Michigan State, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. like me as go a, up there. As a blanket
1: statement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because it, now it gives you an opportunity to make those new memories, to have those new moments. Right. Um, and to kind of like, you know, if you're not going up there, right, you may be kind of prolonging that process, you know, and some people might need me need, need that. Some people might drop the semester and that's normal. Right. And some people might go back a week late and that's normal. And some people might, you know, be ready to get back already. And that's normal, too. Um but, you know, yeah, like once you get on campus, you're going to be able to start processing some of those like immediate little beads that hit that grief trauma ball. Right. Um, and start growing, you know, sooner.
0: Are you familiar with Mike Valenti? I don't know how plugged in you are to Detroit sports media and all that stuff.
1: a familiar. I used to listen to him in, in the car, in my dad's car and in my garage growing up.
0: OK, so, you know, of him. Yeah, he came out this week and I had a, a guess on how he was going to handle it, and I, I think I was pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. But there was a, a perception that he was going to hit the airways at two o'clock the next day and sort of be the voice of Michigan State, which he tends to be after a football loss or something crazy happens and with the basketball program. Mm-hmm. His response, you know, coming out to this situation was, look, I'm not doing a whole show on it. We got football to talk about. It's gonna keep happening. This whole conversation's a waste of time. The gun grabbers are are gonna be against the you know, it's, it's the whole political argument. So mm-hmm. his his general take was, I'm not doing it. I'm gonna talk about it for 15 minutes. It's it's tragic. I thought he was sort of cavalier in in dismissing that. Is that is that something that you see as problematic. I mean, not even specifically him, but he's not alone. There are a lot of people that are like, whatever, like, here we go again. Why is that not okay? Or is it okay to just say, eh, fuck it. I don't care. Like this is, it's going to keep happening. Why should I give a shit?
1: Yeah. I think that's a very, uh, difficult example, right? Because he is a part of the media, right? Like the, you know, Metro Detroit media has been a part of the media, you know, and I think a lot of people are recognizing that, like, extended media coverage, right, while a good thing, right, because it's a source of information, um, it's a source of knowledge, like I said earlier, like, as humans, we want to know why and how and what, um, but... Overexposure in the media can be really, really harmful for people who are trying to, you know, move forward from it. Maybe that's the angle he was coming from. Maybe he was like, I don't want to add to everybody else's suffering because they've heard about it all week and I don't want to be another person that's talking about it, right? I mean, that could totally be where he's coming from. He might also really be struggling with it and not really know, like, how to talk about it, what direction to go. Um, you know, I also think, especially when things go into the politics and that side of things people are scared to talk about like difficult things sometimes too right scared of getting canceled scared of saying the wrong things, scared of offending people and um you're sometimes not saying something is just as offensive as saying something wrong right um but at least then maybe you kind of have the out where you say like i didn't say anything though right um so i mean there's a million reasons why he might have might have done it like that um but yeah, I mean, it's, it's normal.
0: Were you a little bit surprised? I mean, you got a big heart. Your, your job is to have a big heart and be compassionate. But were you a little surprised by your university and to the extent that they stepped up and were supportive? Obviously, everyone knew they would do the performative, you know, tweet thing that everybody does. I, anybody saw that coming. I have been, perhaps in my jaded nature, really impressed by Michigan. I mean, they've, in my estimation gone above and beyond. They did more than they really needed to. I think they could have done a quarter of what they've done and would have satisfied whatever social requirement there may be. Right. I mean, what's your take on that? Have you been surprised, impressed? What's your take on Michigan's reaction to this?
1: I mean, I I would be a really bad U of M grad if I said I was surprised.
0: (laughs) I I I am a little surprised, and that's not meant to be an insult. It's like... I'm surprised if anybody hits a home run anymore with stuff. I mean, it's not a, even a jab at Michigan per se. I, I, you know, again, I would expect sort of the the baseline level, but, you know, the, the maze rage, the student section with the basketball team, they were having like extensive meetings. A little bit of this was public, but I heard from a current student there that I know through his uh, brother, his older brother, but they were having extensive meetings and conversations. They really cared. Like they actually, like, What's the best way to do this? Where we're not, you know, disrespecting our own team because this is still our school and our, you know, they don't want to show up their own guys. But yeah. they, they spent hours this week back and forth and really thoughtfully, where they could have just said, well, "Let's wear a ribbon and you know, call it, good. tweet about yeah. it, or, and you know, do the performative stuff." You know, some people use virtue signaling as a term, which is overused. But I, I was impressed, and I know I'm not the only one. It's like, holy shit, they're really they're of an intense meetings of the minds about uh, their greatest six maze ragers up there and having this measured take on what color shirt to wear and stuff. I was impressed by the extent that they were diving into this.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, why do rivalries exist? Right. Because people care. Right. And so if people can care so deeply and so heavily one way, right. They can care so deeply and so heavily the other way. It's kind of like the 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 yin and the yang of it, right? I mean, if these rivalries didn't, you know, come from a place of caring and emotion and, you know, camaraderie and all of that, right, then, like, they wouldn't really be rivalries. They wouldn't really be entertaining. They wouldn't be anything. And so um, I think, you know, as mu- we're rivals because we care, right? And we're rivals because we're so close, right? It's almost like a sibling rivalry. Like, you're kind of like, you know... I can pick on my little brother, but you can't pick on my little brother, you know, and maybe, maybe not when no, it comes to sports, yeah. but you know, I think, I think it's because at the end of the day, we care.
0: Yeah. I mean, even in-house, I, I complain about Tom Izzo in the transfer portal all the time, but if a Michigan fan says anything about him, it's like, Hey, yeah, you, watch you, it. <laughs> yeah, you better watch <laughs> yeah. it. So it's, it's like the context of criticism is completely changed, you know, and the reaction to it. I don't know. I, I have been impressed in the most wonderful way. And Again, I think they could have done a lot less and still said, "You know, oh, you guys did the right thing, so yeah, you know, I didn't think they had to go to the extent that they did. I'm curious from the clinical smarter than me perspective. <laughs> there is a discussion going on right now, and there's mention of the juxtaposition between these two schools where October was the low point in the history of the rivalry. You know, you have the incident in the tunnel. Mm -hmm. You you know, you guys uh, were obviously understandably upset about that. We were very upset about the fallout, and we thought it was overkill. And so I would argue that was the low point in the history of that rivalry. And we go to certainly, I wouldn't call this the high point. It couldn't have a more sad sort of origin. But from a relations and friendliness perspective, it's the high point. What, what is your take? Do you think this has any lasting effect? Because there is a little bit of the 9-11, we're all Americans for, you know, like two weeks, three weeks, a month maybe, and then we all hate each other again right. on the political stuff. I know it's not going to be this hunky-dory.
1: We're not going to cheer for each other. No.
0: It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I, I know this is the high point. But do you think we're a little bit healed from where we were in October, big picture?
1: Absolutely, big picture, a thousand percent. Yeah. And I, you know, when you were talking, I was kind of thinking about too. Um, when you went to Michigan State, right? Did you have friends that went to U of M?
0: Yeah. That's Man of My Wedding.
1: Yeah. Right. And so it's kind of when something like this happens, right? And kind of like you said, you know, it's kind of awful that we come together in kind of the worst time ever. That tends to be when it happens. But um, you know like it's it's relational it's personal right like i know i spent even though i'm a u of m grad right i spent weekends up at michigan state with my friends that i went to high school with right and like tailgated and hung out and had fun and you know i have super fond memories and you know i was a michigan state fan before i before i went to u of m i know you were um you you can't i did you can't go to u of m and not be a big fan but Um, you know,
0: Carson is the thing (laughs) in reverse at Michigan State, but there's plenty of Michigan State people that bleed maize and blue, but I digress. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No. So I, you know, I think like people know people there, right? People, even if you're, you know, a Michigan fan, you've been to, you know, some people have been to Michigan State, whether it's to have fun and build relationships and make memories or tailgate. And even if it's not the outcome of the sporting event that you wanted or whatever, but like there's still connection there, you know, there's still, I mean, my sister got texts from her friends that went to every other state in the or every other college in the state, you know, like, um, including U of M, right? Because it it gets personal, right? I mean, we lost three people on Monday. That's personal. There are five people fighting for their lives in the hospital right now. That's personal. It goes above and beyond any rivalry, any joke, any "ha ha, hate you, hate you too." Right? Like this is personal.
0: To the extent that traumas in play here, I've read a few student accounts, and they've mentioned somebody drops a, a, a book, and they think there's guns being fired mm-hmm. days later. Mm-hmm. Again, I know it's case by case, mm-hmm. but it, what's sort of the general rule of thumb where? I can hear a textbook drop and I'm not going to think that I'm being shot at. Like, what's their recovery period like as a general estimate? Hey, in six months, you'll be close to normal, six weeks, six years. What's sort of the timeline there?
1: Um, I would say. And maybe this is a little bit shorter than expected, but I would say about two weeks. I think at two weeks, if you're hearing a book drop, um, and, you know, it causes a pretty visceral, physical, emotional reaction, um, you know, it might be time to to talk to a professional, right? Just to get support and like how to deal with that, how to cope with that, you know, what are things that you can be adding into your life or taking away to, you know, help you progress and not kind of keep you stuck in that place. Um, you know, I would almost extend that timeline because there hasn't been you know, for most, a lot of students haven't been on campus, right? So then once students go back to campus, right, then I would maybe say like two weeks from then, right? Two weeks from when they're in the place that this happened um, as kind of like a guideline, right? Whether it's parents looking out for their kids, friends looking out, you know, for their friends um, or for, you know, students, faculty, staff, first responders themselves, you know, give yourself about two weeks of, of. Of grace in this scenario you know and if you're really not seeing things get better um or you're seeing things get worse yeah then it's time to reach out for help I think you know and and you might you be on a path to getting better and four months from now somebody drops a book in class and the whole class goes down right that's normal that might be you know the new normal of a little bit, right? At least for some people. Um, and so I think we need to understand that like healing isn't always linear in that way. Um, you know, you might feel like, okay, like I'm feeling, you know, a student that goes back to school might be like, okay, like I'm I'm getting back in the swing of things. I'm feeling good. Like I'm finally feeling like I'm not looking over my shoulder. I can like, you know, at least attempt to focus during lectures, I'm getting some of my homework done. You know, I'm sleeping better. I'm eating better. I'm back in the gym, working out, et cetera, et cetera, right? But then, you know, something something sets it off, right? They hear a siren or like you said, the book drops, right? Yeah, you know, they might have that reaction. Um, It doesn't mean that they're taking steps backwards. Honestly, like seeing those things die down would just be steps forward. But, you know, it could be 10 years from now you could kind of have that reaction. So I think it's just kind of generally recognizing a decrease in those kind of challenges over the next two, three weeks.
0: Do you use CBT in your? I do. So that's a modality you use? I love CBT. Most smart therapists do, because I think it has the most muster from the science and data. Makes the most
1: sense. Yeah. Well,
0: intuitively it does, but I'm pretty sure the data in terms of clinical outcomes are, are the most favorable from my understanding. And having talked to another therapist uh, on this show before, which uh, not such a sad context, of course, but uh, I I, it's here's what I don't understand. I get CBT as, you know, sort of a reframing. And this is the layman talking here, but it's Mm -hmm. reframing like, oh, that guy disrespected me. And then you ask the therapist, it's like. How do you know? Like, could you be misinterpreting it? And you kind of do that. Is that like a fair lame yeah. kind of painting of that? Yeah. But I don't think that's the challenge for I hear a book drop. I think a gun's going off. I Because I think they don't need to go through the exercise. They know. They know it's a book drop right. after that initial two seconds. Yeah. But they're still frozen by that. Like, what's the actual intervention? Like, what do I do? Because I've heard that, you know, it's not always that one kid mentioned the book, but there were a couple other... I heard this sound. I heard a door slam. Yeah. This is what actual students are out there saying right now. What, like, what's the exercise? I I feel like just talking through and well, did you, could it not be a a gun? Like, they already know that. What's the answer to that?
1: Exposure. The more time you get exposed to, right, because you, I'm sure you hear people drop things all the time, right? And you you don't think twice about it, right? So the more you're exposed to um, loud noise, oh, just a door, loud noise, oh, just a book, loud noise, you know, all those, you know, and not just for the book, but for everything, right? The more you're exposed to, more typical outcomes to certain scenarios, right? The more your brain is going to start to remember that like, you know, oh yes, like this is more typical, right? And that's why it can be so important to get back into a pattern, right? Because then you can start kind of rewiring your brain in that way to remember that, you know, while this traumatic event might have like shocked your brain into, you know, being scared, anxious, nervous, um, you know, depressed, all of these things, right? We can kind of get back to where we were um, just by like the experience, right? Like recognizing that your core thought process around the world, right? Might typically be the world is a good place where bad things happen, right? And so maybe for two weeks, you feel like the world is a really bad place where good things happen, right? And then over time, um, you kind of get back to that place where like, okay, the world is a good place where bad things happen. And I can recognize that again.
0: And uh, in my understanding is you're not a criminologist in terms of the study of that field, but there's so much overlap there because it is, I mean, criminology is a study of the psychology and mental health or lack thereof, of criminals. So there is on the Venn diagram, a lot of overlap there. I don't, I'm not going to mention the Shooter's name, I, as a general rule, don't do that. And I don't want to get too much into empathizing with with him because I couldn't think of a less uh, relevant figure to do that for and a less appropriate figure to do that for. But from the perspective of these students that are wondering, you know, me as an alum wondering, why does this happen? Like, why would somebody do something like this? You know, he has no connection to Michigan State. People were so baffled. It's like he had to have been slighted by somebody up there, right. misdirected anger. Yep. How do you talk somebody through that? Why do, and I know you're not a criminologist, but work with me on the overlap. Mm-hmm. Why do people do what this guy did? Why does that happen?
1: I mean, uh, I would say that any type of mass murder or mass shooting is like irrational, right? Yeah, yes,
0: certainly. Right. And so indiscriminate. I mean, it's you know, it's like if you're some you're not like in a war. I just I can't imagine. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. There's no reason. I think that's why we grapple so much with this is because it's completely irrational. Right. I mean, a rational thought doesn't say go murder people or go scare people. Right. Like your rational brain doesn't tell you to do that. So when somebody has the irrational part of their brain making their current decisions for them, right? We will not understand why we can't understand why as much as we want to put something behind it, place meaning on it, find answers, right? Like at the end of the day, we might be stuck with the answer of nobody knows, right? Because it's pretty irrational.
0: You think as a general rule, People like him are, and again, not just him, as a general rule, are savable if they receive counseling. There was a famous TED Talk. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he said, "I it's a really famous TED Talk on YouTube. It was, I was almost the next school shooter, and he was, you know, made fun of for being overweight and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. he was, like, had bought a gun, was ready to shoot up school the next day. I can't remember all the details, but one person reached out to him with, like, it was kind to him at school. And that encouraged him to get help. And he's like the nicest guy ever and is helping people and giving lectures for free all around the country now. Like, I just, is there saving and averting this stuff from a mental health perspective? Not just, oh, more guns at the door, guards at the door, things like that. Is, is As a general matter. Is this they, preventable? Is it preventable yeah. from your seat? Could, could you prevent stuff like this? Not all of them but some of them, if these people ended up in your chair.
1: I wouldn't be a therapist if I didn't believe that people could change, right? If I didn't believe that people could get better, that people could make progress, that people could grow, I wouldn't be a therapist, right? So I have to believe um, that this is something that could change, but but it brings us into a significantly bigger conversation of where does that start, right? Where does the help start? Does it always start with mental health, right? Which is typically our first, like, you know, I mean, Tuesday morning I woke up to like, you know, gun laws and mental health, right? And I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> okay, you know, like that's a that's a big task to put, you know, to like to kind of expect of people in the mental health community, right? But you know, I think it's it's more systemically challenged than we think it is. Right. I mean, some of this stuff starts in in schools. Right. And in education. Right. People don't have an education. You know, can you expect people to take care of their mental health? And I'm not talking about a college education. I'm talking about like a third grade reading level. Right. Um, if people don't have grow up their entire life not having you know, knowing where their next meal is coming from, right? Or knowing how they're going to get to school or get home from school or if anybody's going to be home when they get home from school, right? I mean, can you, can you expect these people to take to prioritize their mental health, right? And so I think it's a much bigger conversation with, you know, in a much bigger topic um, that might not always start with mental health. It might just start with human rights, um, and and could absolutely turn into a mental health conversation after people, you know, have their needs met. Because on the hierarchy of things that, you know, we need to take care of, basic needs are on there first. And there's a lot of people, you know, I'm not I'm absolutely not saying that everybody who doesn't have their basic needs met or like a rational or could do something like this. But um, you know, if if whatever basic needs aren't met for you from a De- developmental standpoint right from a young age or at some point you know along the line um that might really be the problem that needs to be solved first
0: i think it's such a i mean you mentioned it what what a hill to have to conquer it, 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 it all kind of flows to you guys in the immediate aftermath mm-hmm. that and i guess to a lesser extent the politicians it's like they're charged with fixing this and my again maybe defaulting to my Cynical nature, which I try not to be, but I do have a little bit of the Mike Valeni element, not where I'm ever going to say, oh, fuck this, I'm not talking about it, because then you're really in trouble. But I do have a little bit of the defeatist attitude, generally, where this is never going to be solved. I think you're just sort of in a mitigation phase and mitigation perspective as a society, right? I don't think you can get to zero of these shootings, but we do have a unique problem in this country. And whatever you think the reason is, it's an objective fact that we have that unique mm-hmm. problem. And I I don't know what to say to people that are despairing up there. I mean, I'm right there with them, but I'm not you know in it from a physical perspective. But I think they have a challenging time ahead. But I do honestly believe, and it's not goo gaga rah rah Michigan State stuff. I really believe in the community up there. Yeah, and the the benefit of that, and you know, what we've seen with people. You know, a girl named Kayla in our fan base who I'm friendly with was making koozies, and you know, it's like $5 each one goes to the victims and their families. And I, I've just been really impressed by how the community is rallied. And I think that you kind of touched on that where people find comfort in doing nice things for others, because all these people, I'm involved in some stuff too. It's, it's, you're finding comfort in doing nice stuff, even though I like, I feel like I want someone not to, I don't, not a fundraiser, but I want someone to just give me a hug sometimes. Right. But I, but I kind of, I feel like me giving someone else a hug kind of accomplishes the same thing. So yeah. you, you, you kind of nailed
1: it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and I think, you know, I think we take so much comfort in community when these things happen because these things can feel so lonely, right? Like the feelings that you're feeling, even though people are going to tell you, you know, everybody's feeling this and everybody's feeling that and it's okay to feel this, but it feels so lonely inside to feel hopeless and helpless and frustrated and and to not know, right? The, that continued, you know, thread of like not knowing, right? It can really feel isolating and lonely and so when you can get surrounded um by people just to just to have you know people around right like more than three people right can really make a huge difference right can kind of give you that same effect of like helping people and if you're you know doing both um that's incredible you know for anybody who buys a a koozie or a pin or whatever right like that's also helping too you know, like that's also being a part of the community. Um, and I think that's really, really healing for a lot of people because we, we just feel less alone. As humans, one of our um, greatest desires, right, is to is to love and be loved, right, is to have connection. Um, and so in our some of our lowest moments, that's one of the best things that we can strive for.
0: Yeah, and it's, it is one of those situations where I've never felt like there was a lower point for the university. I think it was the low point in the almost 200 year history of that institution. I yeah. mean, it's, you're talking about a, a university. that has been around for 186 years. I would challenge someone to present a darker moment, but in the immediate aftermath of that, you're seeing some of the the lightest moments where hand in hand with Kumbaya with, you know, Michigan fans, and mm-hmm. they're coming to our vigil. We're going to their vigil and, The things people are doing for each other. I really feel this has an opportunity to make this community up there and by extension, everyone around the world with any ties to Michigan State stronger than ever and end up becoming, obviously, you would never say a good thing Mm -hmm. because that's an obvious, incorrect, false statement, but long term, a strengthening event for this community. Is that a fair takeaway from what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk about sports all the time on the show, right? So if you want to talk about you know, an athlete who's been dealing with a shoulder, issue, a shoulder issue, a shoulder issue, a shoulder issue, a shoulder issue, maybe it's just been lingering, whatever. Right. And then, you know, either something really bad happens, right. Like, you know, really bad injury, right. Or just over time, it gets worse in this scenario, we'll say an awful injury. Right. And now say it's a baseball player right now, they need Tommy John. Right. My guess is they're going to come back post-surgery a hell of a lot stronger than they were when they went into surgery. Right. And maybe even stronger than they were, you know, in the Six months, year, three years leading up to a surgery, right? And that's kind of what we're, you know, what a lot of people are experiencing through this um, is kind of like kind of like surgery, right? Like we're we're kind of recognizing that like life sucks sometimes, often, right? Even for some people, right? Like life isn't fair. Life can be really tough, right? But like together, we can come back stronger. We can, we can get through this. We can move through this. We can grow through this, right? And it doesn't mean that we're not going to be affected, right? Somebody that gets Tommy John surgery is always going to have a scar, right? It doesn't mean those things go away, right? But we can come out of it, you know, so strong and so connected, um, you know, and that's like a beautiful thing. It,
0: it is. And it's, I've been so touched by what we've seen and it, we're just getting into it. I mean, there's a lot of people I know working on things that you know the public doesn't even know about yet in terms of drives and fundraisers yeah. and events and really been moved by that. Ben, can you throw the graphic up there? We We did want to share it for anyone out there that is in need of help or thinks they may be in need of help. Now, this is directly from Michigan State. Uh, you know, we, we're we not going to read the whole thing verbatim, obviously, for the majority of you watching, you can see. But this is speaking to Michigan State's availability resources and what they've done. And uh, we do encourage you to call 517-355-8270 if you feel like you're in an immediate crisis or you need immediate help. Uh, it, it is important to use these things. And I know a couple of people have shared their experiences publicly about engaging in these and how wonderful it's been for them. Uh, you yeah, know, I appreciate those people on Twitter. One of them is a prominent account, Peach James. talked about Hey, I just talked to a girl named Ashley, and it really helped me. And I seriously, I, I encourage anybody out there. And he's an alum; he's not a current student. These resources are so widely available, and it's it's really important to make use of that. On that note, as we wrap up, are you taking new patients right now? New clients. <laughs> Are you booked up?
1: I have some availability during the like mornings and kind of daytimes. My nights are completely booked, but I do have some availability during um the morning and the day. Um I can see anybody who's in the state of Michigan. Um, I can see, you know, I mean, you can go to my website um and you'll look me up online and and you'll find, you know, what insurances I take um but you know in this scenario right i'm kind of willing to work with people on what they need um kind of you know for the interim um, so yeah I have a little bit of availability not a ton I just, but the
0: reason I wanted to ask is so is it okay if I say to call you if the, yeah for, yeah it may be the first four callers like it's like a radio contest yeah because you only got a couple of spots open but
1: yeah and you know what like if somebody calls me and I can't fit them in I have lists and lists and lists and lists of resources that have been compiled for this situation specifically right um you know and and I have great referral sources and awesome colleagues that I can always refer to so if people- feel comfortable calling the person that they've you know been watching or listening to then i'm happy to facilitate that too
0: thank you so much i really appreciate your time and i know we've talked about it how crazy your week has been and you know the expectations on you and uh i i think it's it's just great what your alma mater michigan is is doing and uh, you know thank you on behalf of spartans i'll throw it to uh you know all the michigan people when you you'll be the proxy for that and uh, you, in your role, and everyone in your ilk, uh, in your coterie of mental health professionals are so important now. And uh, thank God that you guys are, are here and doing what you're doing. When people have a lot of needs and complaints, that's the reason I cut them out. You actually, yeah, you know, I'm talking like daily bugging me. <laughs> I don't like the negativity. I'm there if you need me. It can't You can't need me every day. <laughs> you like are the opposite. You're like, for my job, I want to just listen to people vent and have you know, their problems shared with me. So uh, as someone that tries to avoid that for my own, you know, good chi and stuff, I, I sincerely admire you and everybody that does what you do. And I can't thank you enough. I know how critical you guys have been for helping Michigan State and everyone in that community through this. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, thank you, and thank you for having the space where this kind of conversation can happen um, where we're not getting in political debates and we're not, you know, fighting over anything, right, where we can both sit down and recognize whether I say go blue usually and you say go green, right, that we can both sit here tonight, you know, and and support Michigan State and say go green and recognize that, like, this is a tough time, and so I'm glad to have this opportunity, you know, to have this open conversation and uh, be able to share a little bit about, what I think and and listen to a little bit about what you think.
0: Well, we do have so much common ground, and for all the Michigan Michigan State bickering, you know, you and I have a lot in common. We happen to be in love with the same man. So <laughs> you're 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 engaged to the best looking guy in Detroit media, who I can't go four shows in a row without mentioning that he's got the most fantastic hair, <laughs> and you, you're in for it for for that marriage because you're going to be like warding off people with a stick. <laughs> like, we, we, walking around looking like that guy does. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't envy you in that regard because you're gonna you're gonna have to like you're gonna have to be hyper vigilant in that regard too. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm probably your biggest threat, but
1: yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to keep my eyes open when I sleep, right?
0: Yeah, so well, just <laughs> just for me, I, other yeah. people may be respectful, but I've had my eyes on that guy for a long time, and I'm actually a fully straight, happily married guy. But if I were ever to swing the other way, it'd be uh, into his arms. He's a beautiful man with beautiful hair, and wish him well down in Lakeland. Uh, sincerely appreciate you everything you're doing again in the context of this crazy week and your schedule. I know you were drained yesterday and had appointments all day. Appreciate everything and you being here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben hats off to Ben. You're the, you're the bell of the ball, man. I owe you big time for the incredible intro you made with an assist from Eric Williamson. Uh, Really appreciate you guys and coming through as you have. And for everyone out there in Spartan nation and the Michigan fans who have supported us, uh, we appreciate you. We love you. And, I repeat every time I come on in front of a microphone, Twitter spaces whatever now, uh, if I can ever be of any assistance to anybody up there, I've been flattered that a couple of Michigan state students, current students have taken me up on that just to vent and talk and talk about podcasting and radio stuff and I'm honored to have had that offer taken up a couple times. Uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, we are here for you, and I will do anything and everything in my power to help you guys and that's what we're about. And uh, sincerely appreciate you guys taking time with us tonight in your crazy schedules. Spiro Avenue show, Justin Spiro, Savannah. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.